Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 117. Psalm 117. And I'll read the entire psalm. Praise the Lord, all nations, laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. We announced a shorter service this afternoon. What better psalm to consider than the shortest of all the psalms, Psalm 117. Not only is this the shortest psalm in all the psalms, it is the shortest chapter in the entire Bible, and it is the chapter which sits in the very center of the Bible as well. Matthew Henry calls, writes that this psalm is short and sweet, and there is a great deal of gospel in it. Spurgeon says this psalm, which is very little in its letter, is exceedingly large in its spirit, for it bursts beyond all bounds of race or nationality. It calls upon all mankind to praise the name of the Lord. We may say it this way, that it is short in length and long in truth, small in size and large in scope. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the most lengthy of all the Psalms, Psalm 119, made up of 176 verses here, he condenses his utterances down to these two verses, which are just as much a part of the scripture. We'll look at this psalm under two heads. First, a universal call to praise the Lord in verse 1, and then second, the reasons for this praise in verse 2. In the first place, a universal call to all men throughout the world to praise the Lord. Verse 1, praise the Lord, all nations, laud him, all peoples. Praise and laud here, these are commands to praise the Lord, which means to acknowledge the greatness and the excellency and the glorious perfections that belong to him. It is a summons to extol and magnify and celebrate who he is. To give joyful worship to him, thanksgiving to him for who he is and all of the wonderful works that he has done. Praise the Lord. The name is Jehovah. Praise Jehovah, the everlasting, unchanging, and self-sufficient God. And So it is a call, a summons here to the entire human race to recognize that he alone is God and he is high and exalted above all others and there is no other being like him. As the angels in heaven praise him and give glory and honor to him, all the nations and all peoples on earth are now called to do the same. To praise him is always mixed with faith, with joy, and with fear and reverence of him. One cannot praise him without believing in him. One cannot believe in him without joy and delight in who he is. 
And whoever believes in him must love him, and whoever loves him also fears and reverences him. Praise the Lord, all nations. The verb laud in our version of the Bible, in the middle of the verse, laud him is a synonym. Sometimes it is translated extol him. It means to adore him, to recognize the power, the glory, the holiness of God. And here is the highest purpose of man on earth, and it will be our purpose in heaven for all eternity to give praise and honor and joy and have reverence before him. We notice that this call to praise is universal. It extends to the entire human race. It is a summons to all the nations and to all peoples. Praise the Lord, all nations, Lord him, all peoples. During the Old Testament period, God revealed himself in the scriptures only to the nation of Israel. As Jesus said, salvation is from the Jews and salvation was almost entirely restricted to the Jewish people. But this psalm looks ahead to the time of the Messiah when the Savior will come and his salvation will be extended to all the nations. This is what Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7. He saw the vision of the Messiah and to him was given glory, dominion, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him, might serve him with the praise and the worship that this psalm speaks of. His dominion will be an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom will be one which will never be destroyed. We find the same summons to all the nations to praise and worship the Lord, often in the book of Psalms, Psalm 66 and verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Psalm 67 Cause his face to shine upon us, that thy way may be known on the earth, thy salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise him, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. The prophets saw the same salvation extending to all the nations as well. In Isaiah chapter 49, the Lord said, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. I will also make you a light to all the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So this was always the expectation of the Messiah's reign when he would come. The prophets often spoke of the islands which meant to the ends of the earth. Isaiah speaks of the wilderness and its cities, the settlements where Kedar inhabits and the inhabitants of Selah to the top of the mountains. Let them all sing aloud and give glory to the Lord. Declare his praise in the coastlands. There's a passage in the book of Isaiah we'll just look at for a moment. Isaiah chapter 24. And we'll come right back to Psalm 117, but I thought we would want to set our eyes on this verse in Isaiah chapter 24. 
I'll read verse 14 through the beginning of verse 16. Verse 14, they raise their voices, they shout for joy. They cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore glorify the Lord in the east, so in the west and in the east. The name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea, which means to the farthest ends of the earth. And then he says in verse 16, from the ends of the earth, we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. So here Isaiah is looking to the time of the Messiah. And from the very ends of the earth, what does Isaiah hear in the distant future? He hears songs of praise rising to the righteous one. Glory to the righteous one, the Savior. Back in Psalm 117. Psalm 117. All of this speaks of the great power that the Messiah will have after his resurrection. He will be pierced for our transgressions and yet he will be raised and he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days in his resurrection, power and glory. And so this this speaks of the extent of his kingdom. No other kingdom could it be said that it extends to all the nations and to all the peoples. No matter what nation or people we are from. We are all created in the image of God, by God. And yet we are all fallen under the same guilt and power of sin. And there is only one Savior who is given among men, who has the righteousness that we need for our salvation. And only one Savior who can cleanse us in his blood from our sins. Several things are implied here in verse 1. The first thing is the necessity of world evangelism, which is the only way that all the nations and the peoples will be brought to know the Lord so they would praise him. When Jesus finished his great work of salvation, he was about to ascend back into heaven. Jesus commanded his disciples, and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. I am with you to the end of the age. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he told the apostles, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And this is what began to take place in the book of Acts and continues to the present day. And Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 2 that you who were formerly far off in Christ, you have now been brought near by his blood. He himself is our peace who made both groups into one, Jews and Gentiles. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. So he is the God and Savior of the Jews And he is the God and Savior of all the Gentile nations as well. And when his gospel goes to the nations and to all the peoples, 
and when it brings forgiveness of sins and peace with God, and when men find themselves cleansed from all of their sins and with the hope of eternal life, this is what the gospel does in all the nations and among all the peoples. It raises praise to him. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. We notice the word all two times in verse 1. All nations, all peoples. None are excluded. All are invited. The gospel is indiscriminately preached to all the world, the free offer of the gospel. A second thing implied here is the exclusive salvation of Jesus Christ, that he is the only Savior. Throughout the centuries of the Old Testament, praise to the Lord rose only from that one nation of Israel. The Gentile nations were in darkness and ignorance, and they worshipped idols, gods of wood and stone that they had made. But with the coming of the Savior and the truth of his gospel going to the Gentile lands, they would have to repent of their false gods, so that they could turn to the one and true and only Savior. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection, he sent his disciples out so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. All the nations, they had to repent of their worship of their false gods the God of Baal and the God of Asherah, the God of Dagon and the God of Rimmon and all their false gods. They had to renounce them so that they could turn to the only true and living God who is Jesus Christ, the Savior. I am God, he said, there is none other. Turn to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. When the gospel came to Thessalonica, what did Paul say? He said, you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So it speaks of the exclusive salvation here of Jesus Christ, the Lord, the only true and living God and Savior. A third thing that is implied here is that worship is the ultimate goal of salvation. We often think the ultimate goal of salvation is man's welfare. Man's safety into heaven, in eternal life. That that's the ultimate and the highest goal of salvation. That is a most wonderful thing and we rejoice in it, but it is really a secondary goal of salvation. The highest and the ultimate goal of salvation is the praise, honor, and glory that comes to God. This is what this verse is all about. 
The worship of God was lost among all the nations because of the entrance of sin. But now with the coming of the Savior and the gospel, now worship is restored, beginning to be restored among all the nations of the earth. So that in every nation and among every people, now there is this beginning of praise that is rising to the great God of heaven. It is the beginning of the new creation when he shall make the new heavens and the new earth and his praise shall extend throughout every land and the whole earth will be filled with the honor and the praise of God as it was meant to be from the very beginning. This verse, chapter Psalm 117, verse 1, this verse is quoted in the New Testament in the book of Romans, chapter 15. We'll turn there. For just a moment to see this. Romans chapter 15. Psalm 117 in verse 1 is quoted in verse 11. I'll pick up the reading at verse 8 where Paul says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. He is the Savior of the Jews and for the Gentiles as well to glorify God for his mercy as it is written that he quotes from various Old Testament passages. Therefore, I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles. I will sing to thy name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord. Now from Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, all nations, and let all the peoples praise him. The slight change in the words of the second phrase is because Paul quoted from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. But the apostle's point here is that the gospel that he has been preaching here in the book of Romans is for all the nations and the people of the earth. The gospel that Paul has been preaching here in the book of Romans, which is the good news that helpless and condemned and guilty sinners can be justified before God. The gospel that says that we are brought under the grace of Christ so that we are sanctified the body of sin is crucified. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are slaves of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us so that we live and walk according to the Spirit. That's what Paul's been saying in the previous chapters. A gospel of the freedom from the power and guilt of sin. A gospel of eternal life. This gospel, Paul says, is for Jews and Gentiles alike. And he quotes our verse from Psalm 117 to show that it is now being fulfilled. The gospel is going to all the nations. Paul writes here the book of Romans. He is writing to the Romans over in Rome as proof that the gospel is now going to all the nations and to all the peoples. So we see a universal cause or call to prayer, to praise from our verse back in Psalm 117 and verse 1. And now we come to the second verse 
of Psalm 117, and here we find the reasons for this praise. In verse 2, For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Two attributes of God are mentioned here, his loving kindness and his truth. God's loving kindness and his truth are often found together side by side in many passages in the scripture. Back in Exodus chapter 34, when Moses was on the mountain and God showed him his glory, we read that the Lord proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Psalm 25 and verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. Psalm 108 and verse 4, for thy loving kindness is great above the heavens and thy truth reaches to the skies. The word loving kindness here is the Hebrew word hesed. It occurs 250 sometimes in the Old Testament. It is the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament word love, agape. It speaks of God's covenant love upon his people, his loving kindness for them, a deep, abiding, and eternal and unchanging love. It is not his general love for all mankind. It is his special love directed toward his people alone. We notice in verse 1, the call of the gospel to praise God and come to his salvation. It is given to all the nations and to all the peoples. But now in verse 2, his loving kindness is particular. Verse 2 for his loving kindness is great toward us, toward us who believe and know him by faith. It is an electing and effectual love. This loving kindness is a saving love. It is a forgiving love. It is a love that is steadfast, a love that never changes. For his loving kindness is great. The word great means exceedingly strong and mighty. The word speaks of something that prevails and conquers anything that is against it. The same word is used back in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 19 to speak of the waters of the flood as they prevailed upon the earth. The verse says this, and the water prevailed. There's our word, prevailed. His loving kindness prevails with mighty strength. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The same word is used by Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 13. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will prevail against his enemies. He will conquer his enemies. That's what the word great means. This is a prevailing and conquering love. It is infinite, eternal love. It is a love that is undeserved by us who are sinners before God. It is the love that eventually ends in the love of Christ demonstrated at the cross. 
1 John 4 and verse 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this is love that prevails. This is love that comes and conquers the hearts of sinners and turns them that they might praise and honor him. This is love that overcomes the powers, whatever powers are against it. And God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The second half of verse 2. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. The truth of the Lord is his word of promise. His word of promise, whatever his promises are, they are always true. Everlasting, everlastingly true. His loving kindness and his truth here, they must go together because his loving kindness is everlasting. His truth is everlasting. It is the love of God spoken of in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says that there is no created thing that shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His truth is everlasting. Whatever was true in the beginning of the world is still true today. And it will always be true. His truth is not so fickle and changing, constantly altering like the truth that men speak. His truth is everlasting. The promises made to Abraham, the promises made to Moses, Isaiah, the prophets thousands of years ago, they are as true today as they were when they were first given. The promises of our Lord Jesus Christ are still the same today. No promise will ever fall to the ground or fail. Heaven and earth must pass away, but my word shall never pass away, he said. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. He is everlasting the same, and his truth is everlasting as well. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So what blessing belongs to us as those who believe in the gospel? We may open our Bibles, and we may rest our souls entirely upon every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And it will never be shaken. We will never be shaken. His truth is everlasting. And then the psalm closes as it began with a summons to praise at the end of verse 2. Praise the Lord. If we have come to know him in this great salvation and his truth has come to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we are brought to faith in him. 
then this is what we ought to be doing at all times, giving praise to the Lord. In all the circumstances of life, when we are young, when we are old, whatever trouble and trial we may go through, however heavy they may seem, and how greatly they press us down under the afflictions of life, we ought still be able to say, Praise the Lord at all times. We are the fulfillment of this psalm. As those among all the nations and all the peoples have come to know him and to praise him. We are what Isaiah saw so long ago from the ends of the earth. He heard those songs. Glory to the righteous one. That's what has happened here among us as the Gentiles. And this is the best way to spread the gospel. Because those who see us rejoicing and praising the Lord, they will desire to know this same God as well. And join us in it. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us. And his truth is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your glorious gospel and your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that by him all of these things have been fulfilled. And your gospel message has gone to the ends of the earth. That among all the nations and all the peoples, there is praise that rises to you and thanksgiving. Lord, may it always be in our hearts. May we love you and delight in you. And may we always be found with your praise upon our lips. Thank you for this time now together and bless your word to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.